We're now going to hear from God's Word, so it'd be great if you could pull out your, uh, your Bibles. Georgie's going to come and read uh, from Genesis, and then John's going to read from 2 Peter 2, our, the reading that the sermon will be based on. The reading is on page 4 of Genesis, chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And the second reading is taken from 2 Peter chapter 2 on page 860, headed False Teachers and Their Destruction. But there were also false prophets among you, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood and its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who is distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, Do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. 
These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of deprivation of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever, he has, whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to see uh, Camilla here. Is Luke with you? Awesome. Um, we prayed for Dean and Camilla. Let's welcome Luke as well this morning. Do you pray for our mission team uh, heading up to... Am I on or not? Yep. Can you hear me at the back? Not very well. Yes, you can. Cool. Now, pray for our mission team uh, heading up to Darwin uh, this weekend. There's 12 people going, uh, mainly from the evening service, but uh, Naomi and Russ from the morning service. Going to run a youth search conference and work with the indigenous people up in the Northern Territory. Am I not on? I'm just going to use this one, it's fine. There you go. That's better, isn't it? Let's get rid of this thing. Let's um, turn our Bibles back to 2 Peter. It's on page 860. And I'm going to pray. Father, thanks for opportunities to sing. Thanks that we can pray and bring our requests and our gratitude to you. And thank you for this family. Thank you for bringing Luke into this family. Uh, Thank you for the chance to serve. And thanks for the scriptures. Thanks that you continue to feed us through this precious word. So please do a, a good work in each of us this morning. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. My question this morning is, when you look at the church, what makes you weep? What, what breaks your heart when you think about God's church? I hope you don't just think, you know, bad coffee and hard pews and unsingable songs. I see, the church is about people. It's about people who are loved by God, people who are forgiven by Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what breaks my heart, what makes me weep. That's when I see people walk away from Jesus. When I see people who once sat here and they're seduced away from Jesus, and they they drift in their faith, and they wander so far that they no longer have any living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I could stand here this morning with more than one A4 sheet of a list of names of people who once called themselves Christians, but have wandered and drifted in their faith and no longer call themselves believers. And that breaks my heart. For many of those people, uh, the world was too seductive. 
The non-Christian lifestyle was too seductive, and that makes me sad. But what makes me sadder and even angry, rightfully angry, is when these people have been seduced or enticed, not by the world, but by the church. Uh, by, by people from within this body called the church who are teaching wrong things and leading people astray. Uh, people who go into bookshops and pick a book off the shelf, so-called a Christian book, but in that book uh, there are lies, there are false promises, and people read those books, and when God doesn't deliver on those false promises, they walk away from him. And they've been seduced. Or when people listen to sermons by people who are teaching error and teaching untruths and making false promises, and when God doesn't deliver on those things, they walk away from God. That makes me angry. It's called false teaching. The thing about false teachers is that uh, they're very subtle. They don't wander around with a tattoo on their head saying, warning, false teachers don't listen. The thing about these books that lead people astray is that they don't have a stamp on the cover saying, warning, this book contains heresy. It's very subtle and very enticing. Why am I teaching this uh, this morning? I'm teaching this morning because I love you. And I want to make sure that you keep on this narrow way. I'm teaching this sermon this morning because you can walk into any bookshop and pick up a book, a so-called Christian book, and I fear that many of us here are undiscerning. We lack the discernment about what we feed our mind with and what we read. You can go home and you can click the internet and you can podcast sermons from preachers all over the globe. But are you discerning about who you listen to and what you feed your mind with? Uh, You can click on the internet and you can read articles telling you what you want to hear, but it might not be biblical. And I'm preaching this this morning because I fear that lack of discernment causes people to drift in their faith. Before we look at 2 Peter 2, let me say a few quick things. This is nothing new. Jesus warned in the last days between his ascension and his return, there would always be false teachers. He called them wolves in sheep's clothing. People who claim to know God but lead people astray. Let me also say that, 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 that false teaching or, or heresy is not the same as a different opinion. You and I can differ on certain things. We can differ on on, on music in church or or baptism or the role of women in church or gifts of the Spirit in church. That doesn't make either a false teacher. But when people deny the essential truths of the Christian faith, the person of Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, his return, that is false teaching. We also say that these verses are not written so that you and I can go on a heresy hunt. They sit here in our high, lofty position trying to spot the false teacher and condemn them. And these verses are very, very, very relevant because we live in an age of tolerance where, you know, you can believe whatever you want. 
and we live in an age where people are ignorant. They can't really articulate what they do believe. And actually we live in an age of feelings where it's all about whether you feel good and whether it makes you feel better. And and the false teachers know that. They get in amongst us and they can twist and distort the word of God to make you feel good. And they've got you and they've enticed you. And we're in danger every day. What we read, what we listen to, what we talk about, we're in danger of drifting. So what would a false teacher look like? What is your concept of a false teacher? Have you got the idea of the, the, the wolf from Little Red, Little Red Riding Hood or, you know, Gollum, seductive, schizophrenic, my precious? That's not what the Bible describes. These are normal men, normal women who, who look like they're Christians, but they will seduce you by what they teach. What is the profile of a false teacher? Verse 1 is a little summary. It says, There are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. He talks about their character. They are devious. Their content, they deny the sovereign Lord. The consequences are that at least the destruction. That's our three C's this morning, the character, the content, and the consequence. In their character, they are devious. Verse 1, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. It's in secret, it's hidden, it's not obvious. These people mix enough truth with the error that it's quite hard to spot. They make the message sound biblical, they use Bible verses, they quote the Bible selectively, but they don't teach the truth. And they are very popular. Look at that first word of verse 2. Few will follow them. It doesn't say that. It says many will follow them. Many people will follow their shameful ways because people are always attracted to new and different teachings that tells you what you want to hear. They're exploitative. Verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. They'll say anything that will bring them more power or them more money or them more food or more pleasure because they make their living out of fleecing the sheep with empty promises and manipulative threats. And Peter says they're just like Balaam. Down in verse 15, they've left the straight way. They were once on the straight way. They once... Uh, stood there and proclaimed the truth, but they've left that way, and they've wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. It's that enigmatic story from Numbers 22 where, where the Israelites are, are camped, and the king of Moab is Balak, and Balak hires a prophet, a so-called prophet called Balaam, to stop the Israelites. But Balaam just is enticed by his own greed and his own power, and he says what he wants to say. And that's these false teachers. They're just power-crazy, greedy people. Actually, the words that Peter uses to describe these false teachers is, is fairly barbaric. He says they're hedonistic animals. Uh, verse 12, they're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct. What do we say? We say, oh, he's, he's acting like a pig. You know, it's just disgusting. It's all public 
and there's no shame. At verse 13, their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight, their blots and blemishes, reveling in their, literally, their hedonism while they feast with you. Oh, they live amongst you. you, they feast with you, but they're hedonistic. They live for pleasure. They're addicted to sex and drink and power and fun. And it may be hidden to begin with, but over time, you start to spot it. You know, over time, the, the hugs become more prolonged, especially with the beautiful women in church. And the suits become more lavish, and the boasting more obvious, and the abuse more obvious. In their character, they are ungodly, devious, greedy people. Why am I telling you this? The Bible urges us not just to listen to what people, to people say, but to look at their lives. Make sure the lives of the people who teach you and preach each week actually match up to what the Bible says. How do they relate to people? How do they live? Are they kind, compassionate? Are, are they other person-centered? Or are they power-crazy? And I reckon that's a problem for us today. I, I love podcasts. I podcast a lot. But you cannot see the lives of those men who are preaching. You cannot see the way they're living 24-7. The same with the books that we read. You do not know how those people who write those books are conducting their lives 24-7. That's why I want my life to be an open book. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to pull me up when I'm not living a godly life. I need to be accountable. The character of false teachers are abusive, greedy, seductive. What about their content? Uh, verse 1 again. They secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. They're refusing that God is actually in control of everything. They're refusing that he is the Lord. Uh, verse 3. They exploit people with stories, with myths they've made up. And the great catchword seems to be freedom. I'll promise you freedom. Do whatever you want, any old time. Uh, verse 19, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. Uh, what they preach is, uh, you can do whatever you want to do because remember God's a God of grace. God is forgiving. That's his job. If it feels right, just do it. And that's why this message is so popular. It's a message that flatters people instead of calling people to repentance. I reckon I could build a, a mega church here within two years. This building could be full of thousands of people in two years' time. I would just tell you what you want to hear. I'd never say the word sin. I'd never talk about suffering for the sake of the gospel. I'd just preach nice health, wealth, prosperity, do what you want, live for Jesus. God will just give you all your needs and people would flock in. That's right, isn't it? But it's not biblical, it's not true. Because deep down, pleasure is our God. We just want to be satisfied. And these false teachers, they speak powerfully and they attract the crowd and they manipulate people because their teaching is seductive. That's the word used, seductive. Verse 14, with eyes full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They're blatantly and publicly sinning. 
but they seduce the unstable. They entice them. That's the word down in verse 18. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. That, that word for entice is the, is the fishing bait term. You know, put your bait on the end of your hook. Little fish swims along. Oh, that looks nice. Oh, that smells nice. Mmm. And it bites it. And it's grabbed hold of you and it's got you. That's the kind of teaching. It sounds clever. It sounds appealing. Especially for those who are, who are new to the faith or those who are struggling in their faith. Because they want to hear the teaching that makes them feel better. But according to Peter, this teaching is just empty. It's hollow. Uh, verse 17, these men are springs without water. They, they never really refresh you. Uh, they're mist driven by a storm. Instead of producing a life-giving rain, it just hangs over you. It promises something but never delivers. It's hollow. Verse 18, it's empty, boastful words. It's a bit like a Ferrari Rocher. You know, those chocolates that, that look so enticing, but you bite into them. They're just nothing. They're just hollow. That's these false teachers. They, they promise you things, but they never, never deliver. Uh, let me turn it around. You can spot a true teacher, a faithful teacher, because they're prepared to teach you the whole counsel of God. They're prepared to teach you the hard stuff as well as the night stuff. Surely... You want Mark and I to encourage you each week, but also to rebuke you. Don't you want us to, to spur you on in your faith, as well as challenge you in your ungodliness? Our job is not just to entertain you from the pulpit. Our job is to teach you the truth, to equip you to live for Jesus. In their character, they're devious. In their content, they deny basic truths. What's the consequence? where they lead people astray. Lovely, sincere, nice people are led down a path marked destruction. Because that's where they're heading themselves. Verse 1. End of verse 1, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Or end of verse 3, their condemnation has been long been hanging over them. Their destruction has not been sleeping. Or, or verse 13. Uh, like animals born just for the abattoir, these men will perish. They will perish. It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that, that these men laugh at the idea of judgment, but that's where they're heading themselves. That's that section from verse 4 onwards. If God didn't spare angels, that strange story from Genesis 6, but God held the angels for judgment. Uh, and verse 5, if God didn't spare the ancient world uh, who were living for eating and drinking, ignoring God, uh, if God destroyed them... And verse 6, if God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, those immoral cities, if God destroyed them, then verse 9, he will destroy the ungodly. I hope we get a picture of these uh, false teachers. They're not Gollum, they're not Little Red Riding Hood wolves. They're kind of used car salesmen who know the lingo, they know the talk, they sound impressive, but they offer you nothing. Actually, it's worse than that. They're, they're like little girls with a, a lollipop. They smile and they're sweet and it's seductive and enticing, but it's just leading you astray. And the scary thing here is that these people once seemed to, to know Jesus. Verse 20, 
if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and are getting entangled in it, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Uh, they can't know Jesus in that relational sense because if you elect, then your election is sure. But they knew about Jesus. They can quote the gospel. They can embrace Christ, but scratch beneath the surface, and what you find is a fake. Why am I telling you this again? Be discerning. Be very careful. Test what you listen to. Just because I said or Mark said, don't believe it. Look at the Bible. Is this what the Word of God says? Look at our lives. Are we living out what we're preaching? That's the, 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 uh, the profile of a, of a false teacher. But this letter is about making sure that our faith is sure, that our faith is certain. And so my second point is that God protects the true believer. Yes, the profile of the false believer, but God actually protects the true believer. He protects his elect. Because God's judgment always has that double-edged side, a double-edged sword. He condemns the sinner, saves the righteous, destroys the wicked, delivers the repentant. Look at verse 5. If God didn't spare the ancient world, he destroyed the whole world. But he protected Noah. Same in verse 6. He condemned the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, but, verse 7, he rescued, he protected Lot. And in verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. He's not saying he'll protect you from all the, the pains of life, but he will keep you for eternity. How do you know? How do you know that you're protected? Let me give you just two words. The first word is the word few. Did you notice that? God destroyed the whole world, but he protected one man, Noah, and seven others. He he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but he protected one man, Lot. See, don't be surprised if you're in a minority. Don't be surprised if crowds flock to hear certain people, but, but you're standing firm. In fact, we should be concerned if, if crowds and crowds and crowds are flocking to hear certain people because Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many find it, but narrow is the path that leads to life and only a few find it. Sure, we pray for revival. We pray that God would rescue many, 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 but as Christian men and women, we'll always be swimming against the tide. My second word is a word that struck me in preparation and it's the word distressed. You can tell you're a true believer if you are distressed. That's the lesson you learn from Lot. Verse 7, if God rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. You get the picture. Lot lived in a notoriously sinful place called Sodom. But as he lived there day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, as he wandered around the place and saw the way that the rest of the world was living, he was distressed by it. He was tormented by it. He was appalled by the behavior of the rest of the world. He couldn't stand it. And that is the mark of the true believer. As we live in this world, we should be distressed. As we hear about 
governments making proposals to endorse same-sex marriages or same-sex adoption, we should be distressed by that. As we see the rich and the famous trampling on the poor and the needy and the destitute, we should be distressed by that. As we watch your work colleagues and what they spend their money on and what comes out of their lips and their attitude towards things, we should be distressed by those things. It should torment us. But I fear it doesn't. Because we're so compromised, almost desensitised. Someone said, the greatest security against sin is still being shocked by it. The greatest security against sin is still being shocked by it. But when we've lost the shock value, when we've started to tolerate the things of the world, we're easy targets this false teaching. See, we do have firm foundations. His name is Jesus. Our election is sure. He's given us his word. He's warned us that there will always be false teaching. And he's warned us that there will seduce us, entice us with things that, that we'd quite like but are not according to the word. And I'm just praying that you here and me here this morning would be that true believer who says, I'm not part of the crowd. I'm standing apart from the crowd and being different because I follow Jesus. I'm one of the few. And as we live in this world, actually we are shocked and we are distressed by the way that the world is heading. Because our home is not this world, but our home is heaven. And we're heading for a place where we will see him with unveiled faces. It does break my heart when people wander away. It makes me weep when people are seduced by false teachers. And I'm praying and I'm urging you, please be discerning. Please be discerning what you feed your mind with. Let me pray. Father, thank you that our calling, our election is sure because you are the one who is sovereign. Thank you that you keep all those who are yours and you protect them. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your spirit to help us to understand the word and to be discerning. Lord, please protect us from error and from heresy. Please protect us from the seductive false teachers who surround us. And Lord, I pray for those who teach wrong things or who are entrapped by it. Please free them and open their eyes to the truth. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.